0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: And Peter was also with them and standing and warming himself. Peter had a couple of options. He could get up close to these guys and be identified again or he could be off by himself and be identified because he's standing all alone and nobody would stand all alone unless there's something going on. Who is that stranger standing over there? So he chose to get around the group and of course that brought in another question. And so now Simon Peter's standing and warming himself. These guys then said to him, you're not also one of his disciples, are you? Implying, aren't you one of those disciples? Kind of implying, yes, you are. And he denied it again and he said, I am not. And then one of the slaves of the high priest being also a relative of one of those who had, his ear cut, uh, who had Peter cut off his ear. kind of, This guy was really knowing who he was. He really recognized who Peter was. And he said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Meaning the slave was in the garden as well, of the relative. And he says, I wasn't. He denies it again, and immediately the rooster crowed. Now, if you will, let's, uh, let's unpack that a little bit from a personal level, if you don't mind. When I think of what Peter was doing, I know we want to beat up on Peter. I know we want to look at him and say, what a what a denier he was. What a what a coward he was. And, and there's some truth in that. Remember what I said? Swashbuckling, wielder of a sword over here. And then why all of a sudden he deteriorates to such a coward that not once, not twice, but three times publicly he denied. Not just by his actions, but by his very own words, he's denying that he has anything to do with Christ. Now, what would bring him to that level? I got thinking that Peter's probably not a lot different than I am. Now, I've kind of walked with the Lord, and I don't mean i walked physically with him, but I've been saved since 1966, and there have been periods of time, that uh, significant periods of time, where I was really taught by the Lord. And I don't mean I heard God's voice, but I sat down and I studied his book here, how many times I preached through the scriptures. and. How many times I went through, through the original languages and how many sermons and seminars and Bible teachings and classes. I have an earned degree in this and I love theology and all of that. So God's teaching, I have all of that. And then I can't help but think of the times as here I am and I've had all the apologetics necessary and I know all the truth and I preach how you guys need to be strong. How many times I'm on an airplane and I have a seat that's empty next to me and I'm thinking to myself, oh Lord, please don't have anybody sit next to me. I don't want to talk to them. Now, that's horrible to admit to you, but that's reality. So I can go from a very courageous defender of the faith, especially when I have a microphone in front of me and plenty of distance to run from the crowds that they get unwielding, when the reality of it all is when I'm up close, am I really going to take a stand for Christ? Why would that happen? I'm submitting to you three that I think are very real in my life, and I think these are real issues that Peter was dealing with at this very time. And I'd like to see if they're the same with you. Then I'm going to offer to you and to me a solution that strengthens me when I go through these times when I have been courageous and when I'm not courageous, why I'm that way and then how I can change it. So first of all, there's a lot of doubt that begins to happen. You know, there are times in my life that I've really seen the Lord work. He's answered prayers. We in this church have experienced what some people might refer to as miracle. Miracle is something we didn't uh, demand, we didn't expect. It was something God did that when we got done with it, only God could have done it here. We had a flood here. They wiped out the first floor of all this facility here, why it did not hit our piano, and at that time we had an organ. it was like dry all around here and dry all around there, and we were able to get a couple of guys and we put the, the instruments up here. How that I'll never know. I can never explain to you why we would have an eight hour pipe break on the second floor not a year later about a year later, and that then inundated the entire second floor and it wiped out the first floor again in the educational building and yet at the same time, our belongings. That we had because we weren't living in a house then. We were in an apartment. We moved them up to the second floor, and that water went everywhere except in this one little room where we had our belongings. Now, I can't explain what's happened. So I could look at all of that, and I could say, ooh, look what God has done. And then I can tell you about times when Carol had cancer the first time, and Carol had cancer the second time, and I'm asking myself, why would you save pianos and organs and, and some of our belongings, and what are you going to do with Carol? now I, every, we've had many people that have a cancer in here and some of them are recovering from it some of them are still dealing with it i have to tell you though there are comes those times where we have those doubts in our life when they come i have we have to own those doubts and some of you know how you are and outside you're like an oreo cookie really strong and give all the right answers but inside you're still Ooh, am I handling this right, and did I cause it, and can I do something to change it, and what's, where am I going to, I want to respond right, but I don't think I really am, and God, why would you do this to me, and why now, and why this? We go through those times. The second is we have fear. Because once we develop the doubts, now we're really fearful because we carry them long enough until we think, okay, I'll I'll, I'll wrestle through the doubts until I get a solution. But there's a threshold with everyone that we finally end up not getting the answers to our doubts. And now we're very fearful because we feel like everything is out of control. All right, for example, Peter goes in there. He chops off the ear, and I think for that momentary, he's just thinking that Jesus is going to say, "Peter, a boy, you know, good job. Sorry, you missed. Try again." You know, like, no, I had doubt. It didn't happen. And then all of a sudden, these guys are taking Jesus away. And wait, 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 wait! He's going after them. He he's letting them. Do, he went to them, and now they're. Oh, this thing is really open. He's not calling down these angels to wipe him out. What's happening right now? And now he could be very fearful. Now, while I'm beating up a little bit on him, I want to remind you, though, only John and Peter stayed close enough to the whole action. Scripture says the rest of those guys fled. Judas was leaving then to go hang himself. And so I want you to know there was a big mess going on. So Peter wasn't all that bad. So he was close, but he was still struggling. And I'm sure that many of you, you haven't totally fled the faith or totally just kind of gave it all up and gone back to your old ways. But even so, you may be close, but you are still doubting. You still have fear. Now I begin to ask myself, what would be at the root of all of this? And I think often the root of our problems is unbelief. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But very close after unbelief is pride. We begin to get very prideful that, you know, we can't fall. We're right here. We, got all, we can take care of this thing. Look at I walked on water. Look at I was there with Jesus here. And I was up at the mount here. And I saw that. And I experienced this. So all of a sudden we have this bit of pride what was happening then to Peter as he took over because he had that pride. And how many of you and me, we get a little cocky and pride sits in and we fall. Pastor Dennis and I were talking this morning in our prayer time for you all and for our ministry this morning upstairs in my office, my study. And we were talking about how that this year, just in our own knowledge, we've known two major international but maybe more nationally known Christian leaders who have... Are in a, I can't indict them because they haven't been tried and I don't know that they ever will be, but enough has been said to say that there's enough smoke around them that there's fire and they are now no longer a part of their ministries and one of them had two ministries, one's prophet, one non-profit and both of them closed their doors after he had such a massive influence upon people, husbands and wives and children. Both of them are now gone. And as you begin to read through the people that have spent time talking and interviewing at least one of them, The pervading response coming from them is still an element of pride. One of them so strongly, so upset at the people who came to accuse them. Five of his closest friends that loved him so much that it turned into such a yelling match that one of his men that came to him to try to help him had to get up and leave the meeting. Later on it was said that we came as maybe being Nathan, you're the man and now let's see what we can do to put this all back together again. And you can't unscramble an egg, unring a bell, and put Humpty Dumpty back. But what can we do biblically to, to make something better out of this, if we possibly can? And they said, no, it didn't turn into that at all. It was, why did you turn on me, you betrayers? Now, I said all of that to say that it's not long that we can be very much like Peter. We, finally, we, we follow close enough, but at the same time, we have a skewed view of God. Doubt sets in, fear sets in, and then pride then embeds itself in us And man, it's almost all gone by then. Now, here's the good news. And the difference, perhaps, between Peter then and us now. And it still revolves around Peter. As Peter was all that doubting guy back then and all the challenges he had, when the Holy Spirit came, and he did come, and he came inside Peter, and he came inside Peter and he stayed inside Peter, as he does every single person who trusts in them, that Peter now had what you and I now already have, is the ministry of the Holy Spirit working in us. And the beauty of it all is Peter changed dramatically as we now witness by reading the testimony of his life and ministry and effective ministry when the Holy Spirit came inside of him. So now, while I can look at Peter and say he had doubt, fear, and uh, pride, I can say I have that too in the flesh. But now, I now have, that he then got later, is I now have the the power of the Holy Spirit, which now means that I can allow God to rise me up above those issues, and I now have a winnable war against doubt, fear, and pride. Now, I don't want to simplify this too much, but I'd like to give you a a piece of food to chew on that you can now swallow easily in maybe one bite. So, what's the verdict? What do I need to do so that I don't become like Peter in the same situations where I'm watching what I'm thinking should happen and doesn't happen? All right, what do I do? Here it is. We need to put our faith in christ in every circumstance of life every moment of our life now i'm going to say some things that'll sound a little odd i'm to put my faith in christ every moment of my life in every circumstance of my life because as i trusted christ by faith i'm to live by faith now this is going to get huge right now i need to completely trust in him and his principles of his word even when i don't always understand them i will come back and clarify that in a moment I have to realize that God is still God. He is large and in charge at the same time He's near and dear when I don't understand Him. Now, that is a quick, simple, quick answer. Let's go on to the next point, take communion, go out for lunch. But that's not the best answer. That is an answer. It is a good answer. But now, in order for me to trust Him, I have to really know Him. Logically, intellectually, in order for me to trust anybody that's going to cut on me as a surgeon or look at my, my, my records to do my taxes or something I've got to believe they know the stuff but I don't know that until I vet them in some way so while I may not put Jesus on the, the, the stand like a trial I'm going to let him vet himself to me through his word and I promise you the more times you abide in his word and you study his word and you listen to his word and you compare scripture and you study it. I don't mean a cursory little devotional booklet. That, that's good for a little, maybe one slug of water when you're thirsty, but that's not going to quench everything you need. So by staying in his word, you will see that he will continue to grow in, um, in stability and soundness and reliability of who he is, which then will help those doubts, those fears and those special times when pride begins to come up, you will, you'll begin to detect that e- more easily because you have got the Spirit of God working with the Word of God in the, heart of the, in, the, in the heart and the mind of the child of God to be able to do that. That's why I urge you, w- when you leave this island and go somewhere else, you find a church that teaches the Word of God. You find a group of people that put the Bible over other booklets and study booklets. It doesn't mean they don't use them, it just means the Bible is over there. People that are teaching it. And helping you to apply it and holding all of each other accountable to it. And I'm going to tell you then Jesus Christ is going to come more and more into focus. You're going to see that he is, watch this, watch this. He is altogether lovely and he's altogether trustworthy. Remember this too. In this whole context of this passage, as it now is just one bite of the entire passage of Scripture, you're seeing that Christ is faithful. Peter is faithless through this and I would like to be filled with the fullness of Christ so I can be more faithful and the way he does this is by making promises and keeping promises well let's go to the fourth and last one here this is about Peter I know this is a bigger chunk of scripture but I don't have to unpack it as much you're going to hear a lot of this in future times but I wanted you to see as he stands before Pilate now this becomes again more of a formal trial albeit it's still an unfair one so here's what happens after that then they led Jesus, in verse 28, from Caiaphas unto the praetorium, and it was early. And they themselves did not enter the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Now that is a lot of, what is all of this? What's a praetorium? What, is that a merry-go-round? What, what is this? Do they be defiled? What's this eating the Passover? What's all this going on? Very simply this. The praetorium would be a place where Caiaphas would set up his, his, uh, his, his place of living at that time. Although some people think he lived other places, it also could be the place that they would set for the trial in front of the Jewish people. So, again, that's Caiaphas location, Praetorium. Um, I want to come back and say that in this situation, it's a it's a very unusual situation because the Jews did not like to, um, or would not, Eat in Gentiles' homes. Now, some of you might scratch your head. Why wouldn't a Jew eat in a Gentile home? Because in those days, a lot of Gentiles, when they didn't want their children, they would either abort them, and I hope you're not a child listening to this, they would take the child's life and they would drop him in a pit or in the sewer or whatever system they had to get rid of them. And so, Jewish people didn't want to be around. Locations where there would be dead bodies because the law forbid them to do that. Now, that's why they wouldn't go into certain places. So Caiaphas went into the, uh, led, led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium because that's where Pilate would be. Pilate, again, is Gentile Roman leader. And it was early. And they themselves did not enter the praetorium. Again, I told you why. Because they would be defiled there because there's probably some dead bodies or dead children or dead something going on in that place. And they just said, I don't want to be a part of that so they could go ahead and eat the passover do you mind if i give you something for free this shows you how stupid this is this really shows you how dumb it is these jewish leaders that were taking them off to Pilate and trying to get Pilate now to do the death sentence because they couldn't do that they were trying to keep the letter of the law with how they would go into a building or not go into a building so they could eat the Passover, while at the same time violating so many more issues of the law over here. So you can see they're all tangled up in what they believe. So really what they're doing is doing what they really wanted to do. And it's probably they didn't want to go into that building because they wanted to look spiritual over here. This is the mob saying this, so we are spiritual. And there was great, confused mess. And that goes back to the first statement I made today. This was a messy, messy, messy thing going on. All right, back to the passage. Therefore, Pilate then went out of the praetorium to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered and said, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. Now that in itself is saying, Hey, wait a second. Why are you bringing him to me? An evildoer addresses his character. He's not doing anything illegal. There's a lot of evildoers out there. So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. You've got a problem with him. You deal with him. Then the Jews said to him, We're not permitted to do this. We can't put anyone to death to, fill the, to fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Now, hold your place here for a moment and go to Mark. And while you're turning to Mark, you need to know that something happened at this time that is very interesting. And that is that when the Roman government took over the Judean area where this was, it was at that time that the Jews were not permitted any longer to perform We might call executions or perform um, the death penalty on anyone. We're turning to Mark chapter 10. And so there was a stopping there. And this happened sometime between 6 AD and about 20 AD is when it stopped. Now, why I think this is so unique is when it stopped is it's now going to fulfill what Jesus said after that. And here's what he says. Very important now. Mark chapter 10, because he's now going to talk about his death. Look in verse 30. Well, 32. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. Again, he took the twelve aside, and he began to tell them what was going to happen to him. I hope you have this marked. He's now going to give you what's happening in this week, saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests. And they are, if you remember, Annas, high priest, and Caiaphas. And then it says, and the scribes, so you have the Pharisees and the scribes, all those Religious lieutenants there. And they will condemn him to death, which they did. And they will hand him over to the Gentiles, which they're now doing here, what Jesus is talking about. And then what will they do? We're going to study this next week. They will mock him. They will spit on him. They will scourge him. But not only that, they will kill him. And then it says, and three days later, he will what? Rise again. So he's already prophesying something ahead of time of what's going to happen. And we are now reading the fulfillment of this prophecy at this time. Now go back, if you will, to John. Almost done here. There's four statements or four questions that uh, Pilate now asks him. And each one of them is more of a confession than an examination. So Pilate then brings him up and he says to him, the praetorium, he said, are you king of the Jews? He's kind of confessing something he already knew. But Jesus answered and he said, are you asking this on your own initiative or are others telling you about me? Now, why is that important? Because if he said, yes, I'm king of the Jews, he would be an insurrectionist. So Jesus now he's navigating through this question and he does it by kind of asking a question so that the framework of Pilate's mind would be exposed properly so he could answer it in a way that would fit the plan that he has. So now he says, what is all of this? What are you asking me all of this for? So he answers it very simply. And I'm saying here, Pilate does. So Pilate answered and says, I'm not a Jew, am I? In other words, I don't know all of this stuff. He's a confession here that he's got prejudice. He has an anger against the Jewish people. And by the way, when you study Pilate, you're going to find that all through history, he's a very strong, dominant, selfish leader who also waffles to do what he can to accomplish what he wanted. So he used his constituency to accomplish his goals only to have a blow up at the end where he was fired from his job. He had to go back to Rome to go underneath Tiberius to be um, judged for his own weak handling of not only this situation, but especially the, the Samaritans at the time. And we don't ever know what happened to Pilate. Either he went to banishment or he killed himself or he was executed or something we do not know Pilate then rides off into history and in oblivion after that but forever he is recorded in here for us to know because of the significant choice that he made back to the passage he said your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me what have you done and what is that doing that's confessing his human weaknesses and in a sense if you remember that's about the time that uh, Pilate's wife is coming along and saying hey have nothing to do with this righteous man so what have you done you know what have you done now And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. This is very important. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. Can't you see that I'm not the king of of a nation, so to speak? I'm not here bringing my subjects to fight for me, to protect me. He's basically saying, I even gave myself up to you guys. I came to you, and you arrested me without any struggle, and I even stopped those that wanted to stop them. Because I'm giving myself, because my kingdom is not of this world. And you could put in the margin yet. But let's go a little bit further, because the world there is a world system, a world way of thinking. And then it says here, Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus said, You say correctly that I'm a king. For this I have been born. Mark that. I've been born And for this I've come into the world. So I am sent by God supernaturally. I've come into this world. I will become a king. And I've been born for this to testify the truth. And we could say testify the gospel even. Everyone who is of the truth, of this truth, who knows this truth, who believes this truth, will hear. And especially the word "here" means to respond to. When you hear this truth and you're part of this truth, you will act to it. You'll believe it, you'll respond to it, it'll become a part of you. It's like when he said, the, sh- the, the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. Those that know the truth will know and hear what I'm saying. They will respond to this like sheep will respond to a shepherd. And so then Pilate said to him, well, what is truth? Sounds like moral relativism now. tries to tangle them up into what is truth and what's not true. And that talks about a cynical heart. And everyone who is of the truth hears me what is truth. And when he said this, he went out again to the Jews and said, You know what? i talked to him. I don't find any guilt in him, but you have a custom that I release some to you at the Passover. Do what you wish with them, and I'll release you, the king of the Jews. And really, again, he's kind of mocking them because uh, if he's king of the Jews, he's not really acting very much like a king. He's really not acting so much like a king. So they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. And with that, I want to close But I have to close by explaining again what I began with the message this morning. Remember the conflict that there is between almighty good and almighty bad, almighty God and almighty Satan and all of his minions. With all of that, I want you to know that it's not fighting it out like a a spy versus spy in the back of a mad magazine to see who wins it this week. It's not that at all. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. But this struggle is going on. And when they said that we're going to go ahead and take Jesus, and in the next sentence is basically crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, but release Barabbas, release Barabbas. It says here in John he was a robber. But you have to read the other writings to say others said not just robber, the other writer said he was a notorious robber. Another writer said he was a notorious robber and a murderer. When you go into history about Barabbas and the technical writings, you're going to find that he was an insurrection. If anybody that was trying to get a group of people to fight against Rome for their own reason, it was Barabbas. So you're seeing the exact opposite of who Christ is in the person and the work of Barabbas. And these people are saying, give us Barabbas now. We want him to be released and have his freedom. But we want you to take Jesus, not to confine him, but to kill him. Well, that brings us now to choices that I have to make and you have to make with that. I mean, I look at that and I'm saying, oh my word. What am I going to do? Well, I look at that and I have the choice to keep putting Jesus on trial. He has to keep proving himself, keep proving himself, keep proving himself. Or I can then be one who says, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. How much more information do you think the Lord has to give to you? Now, if you really want more information and you're not yet ready to trust him, but you are a serious seeker because in your heart you're drawing, you're being drawn to Christ, but you're not ready yet to step over that line of faith, Let me tell you right now, you can do it with the amount of information you already have. Jesus is Lord. He's God. When he died on the cross, he completely died, biblically correct, the biblically qualified person to do this, to take all your sin on himself, and he rose again from the dead to show you that he had victory over sin, selfishness, Satan, and to give eternal life because he is the author of life. He gave his life. All that is based on faith in Christ. Now, you have enough right there to do it. All you've got to do is in your heart, transfer your trust from yourself, your work, your system of belief, and put it in Christ alone.
0: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box six zero seven nine zero one Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear.